0: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode, and this is Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the stage of the 2017 Code Media Conference in Dana Point, California. You can find full coverage of all the speakers of the conference on recode.net. Now I'm going to hand you off to my colleague, Recode Senior Media Editor Peter Kafka. I love that I'm standing in the way of Valentine's drinks. You're not
1: standing in the way. You are, you are.
2: You're standing in my way.
1: added value. All right, let's let's speed it up. (laughs) No, Um, just kidding. I think everyone knows what National Geographic is. They know what the magazine is. Right. I think some people, even the super sophisticated audience, may not understand what the channel is that you're running and okay. are really sort of overhauling it. So let's, yeah. let's start easy.
2: Okay, let's start easy. Yes, yeah. so I oversee National Geographic Global Networks. We are uh, part of a joint venture between 21st Century Fox and the National Geographic Society. The channels have actually been around for about 18 years, and they started as a joint venture between Fox right. and the National Geographic Society. Well, Fox
1: put a bunch of money in them and now owns the yes. majority stake. So, so you work for the Murdochs. I,
2: I do. Yes, I do. And, um, but it's still an expanded joint venture. So 27% is owned by the nonprofit National Geographic Society. But a little over a year ago, they expanded the joint venture. And now, underneath National Geographic Partners, which the channels, Fall under uh, includes all of the media assets with the National Geographic name. So the print and digital magazine, a books division, a kids business, a right. travel business, an events business, and then the global channels business. So
1: the stuff I want to talk to you about is, is TV. Okay. Um, we've had we've had uh, we've had Eddie Q talking about what Apple may or may not do to yep. reinvent TV. We had your old boss Chris Albrecht.
3: Yes, from, uh, HBO. You from an HBO,
1: yep. talking about what he's doing with premium pay T V. You are part of the bundle. You're part of the, the Fox, the twenty first century Fox bundle. Yes. And they go out to the Comcast, the world and say, here's all our channels, you are now in yes, that group. Yes, and that's a
2: great advantage that we have to leverage being a part of that portfolio.
1: What, so we're in a world where everyone's trying to, at least there's a new conventional wisdom is skinny bundles. So mm-hmm. Let's strip off some of these channels. Let's let's not take ESPN one through nine. Maybe right. ESPN and one of them. What do you need to do to make National Geographic part of that core bundle? Because again, I think even in this audience, they might not know what that channel is, and maybe that's something they can live without. And I right. Think distributors may feel the same way.
2: Right. So my job is to create a channel that people feel like they can't live without, including distributors and consumers, and and that's really about creating exceptional content inside a really vital brand. And that is what our focus is. And I really, quite frankly, like our chances. So we're radically changing our programming strategy and and taking this brand, which you're right, everybody has universal awareness. You
1: know, there's a yellow border in a magazine, or for old, we know that.
2: Right. Yeah, probably most people in this room, like me, whether it's their grandparents or their parents, had some big yellow strip, you know, uh, aligning some bookshelf someplace. Um, And so it's this beloved brand around the world, you know, it's iconic, it's special, it's meaningful. What we're really focused on is moving the brand from reverence to relevance, um, and also creating content that is really distinct, uh, really high quality, really premium, and quite frankly, worthy of this brand that everybody knows and loves.
1: So you've been running this now for for a couple of years, years, so you you can speak Disparagingly of the people before you. So, so what is what is the thing that you are moving from?
2: You, okay, you wanna, yeah. You
1: want to you want to revitalize? Yes. Radically change the. Yes, program. radically change. What did you used to do, and what do you want so to? move So,
2: what what they were doing previously was really focused on chasing the audiences of Discovery and History and other networks in the um, kind of factual entertainment space. And it was at a time where, and those networks are still doing this to a to a certain degree, um, low cost. I would say fairly mediocre male skewing reality shows. Lots of Alaska and survival truckers. and truckers and yeah, um, and so not
1: that there's anything wrong with that, but you didn't want to be a, third or fourth in that. Yeah, country.
2: you know, we weren't as successful at that as they were, and I think that is for two reasons. One, um, and the primary reason is that. I don't think people come to National Geographic for that. I think that there is a higher expectation um, for what we should be doing. And so um, what we're moving away from is that kind of tonnage play of a lot of low cost, kind of derivative, in my opinion, ours, to fewer, bigger, bolder, much more creatively ambitious, much more distinctive um, content that really feels uh, right for our brand.
1: And so you've announced deals with people like Brian Grazer, yes, Darionovsky, people mm. that, again, people you might recognize. Names. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and we're, you're going to do original programming. We'll show something in a second. But so you're in a world now that, that is really crowded for reasons we've been talking about yeah. for a day and a half because all the networks are in this, uh, Stars and Showtime yep. and HBO and now Amazon and Netflix and yep. Apple just put their toe into it. Yeah. Um, so I get why you'd want to upscale the the, the network, but it seems like everybody is now mm-hmm. going to that same place. So what's the how do you balance the risk? I think everybody's that? talking
2: about going to the same place. I'm not sure everybody's going to the same place, but you're right. There's no question. It's incredibly cluttered and competitive. There's no question. But you know, I firmly believe with uh, kind of that yellow border as our North Star, if we continue to point that towards, you know, quality, creatively excellent shows that really do fit our brand, you know, our our goal is really to create Kind of a first class, unabashedly smart, but also entertaining channel that lives up to this brand and really be the world's leading destination for premium content around. Uh, kind of the pillars of adventure and science and exploration and really globally relevant issues.
1: But you, you'll do scripted, unscripted, both. yeah. Both. The lion's
2: share of our hours are unscripted, but we're we're taking some really big. Swings and was this unscripted. something where
1: you got the job and said, "Here's what I want to do," or they came to you and said, "What would you do if you got the job?" How did uh, I got is this the job in for, motion? Uh,
2: no, no, I got the job, um, and at first was just sort of thinking about. You know, okay, with the with the model that we were operating, sort of the number of hours and our budget, sort of how do we just make it incrementally better, right? Because I I joined as the head of marketing, um, having been at HBO, as you said, and was quite frankly pretty uninspired with the content that we were creating, and I. That's a fun
1: job to take.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The the one from HBO to well, that. What I'm this, I mean, yeah.
1: yeah, well, I
2: just didn't really get. You know, I'm a brand person. I'm a marketing person at heart, and I sort of didn't really get how the content sort of fit with that brand. Um, and so, but anyway, so I was sort of how do we make this incrementally, you know, better? And then Peter Rice, um, and I'll never forget it. He said to me, I was um, in LA, and I was flying back the next day, and he called me, he said, "You know, Courtney, on the plane ride home, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about." What is the HBO version of National Geographic? Just, just think about it. And I thought I could think about that. And I sort of just wrote this little manifesto on the plane, and um, and it was really about uh, you know having a strategy that is based on quality and distinctiveness and big bold bets, event television, created with you know the, the literally the A list creative talent from around the so world, and that's what so we're your doing.
1: bosses at Fox said.
2: Gave me permission to think much bigger.
1: Let's supersize this. We're going to put real money into it. Go spend money. And, you
2: know, when Stacey Snyder was up here, obviously we're all part of of 21st Century Fox, and she said something that is so true. You know, it it really is. You know, Fox is all about thinking big, aiming higher, really big swings. Um, And they have significantly increased our budgets in programming, in development, in production, and in marketing so that we can pursue this much more ambitious um, strategy. And that's how we're able to attract the likes of Ron Howard and Brian Grazer and Darren Aronofsky and, you know, the best doc filmmakers in the business.
1: So I want to show people a clip of, of what we're talking about. Great. Um, do you want to introduce yeah, it? Yeah, I should we probably assume set that everyone up. saw the Super Bowl so Did they you know. Did you see our
2: Super Bowl spot on Genius? So we have our first scripted series that is launching in April um, and it's a scripted anthology series. So it's called Genius and every season is going to profile one of the world's great geniuses. First season is based on Walter Isaacson's biography of Albert Einstein, which is a terrific book if you haven't read it. Um, Ron Howard making his television scripted directorial debut. Older Einstein, played by uh, Jeffrey Rush, um, his wife, his second wife, played by Elsa, uh, his second wife Elsa, played by Emily Watson, um, and then we have young Einstein, is played by this up and coming British actor named Johnny Flynn, who's terrific, but not in this clip. So in this clip, which we've never shown before, um, he wouldn't let me show you the Super Bowl ad, of which I was so I said proud. He said a couple he hundred said, million no. people
1: saw it. So like I, I want to show it again. New. He wouldn't
2: let me. Um, so this no one has seen before, and it's 1932 Berlin. And Albert Einstein, his wife, as I said, played by Emily Watson, Elsa is trying to convince him that as a Jew, they need to leave and emigrate to the United States because it's getting really bad in Germany for Jews. And he was dead set on saying, this is just a fleeting thing. It's just not going to happen. It is not going to persist. And we can stay here. I'm not leaving. But in this scene, you start to see um, him question that and be personally affronted. So take a look.
1: Roll tape. I always want to say that. Roll
2: tape.
3: The
0: time has come to stay in the mountains right for your country. We These are our stores. You are ruining our business. How dare you? Leave! Leave
2: Germany! You oh, stupid kite.
0: <laughs>
2: Get down you dirty Jew. Jew pig.
3: We should stop this. Stop stop stop. Stop, 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 stop. Albert stop
0: Einstein?
3: Oh, Herr Einstein! Oh, Herr Einstein! Oh, Herr Einstein!
1: Oh, May I have your autographs there?
2: I'm sorry, young
1: man, eh? I seem to have lost my pen. Bruno, back in now. When I grow up, I want to be a scientist just like you. Germany Hile. Elsa. Elsa. You're right. It's time.
0: Oh, uh, um.
2: Jeffrey Rush is extraordinary in this role. Good Einstein. And he looks like he was born to play it. I mean, it's, he's extraordinary. Yeah.
1: Um, do you think about why you want to make this your first big splash? In this, in this arena? You know,
2: it's... It, it, the story,
1: this character? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's so... The scripts were amazing. Um, it's really, the series is sort of the man behind the mind. You know, it's sort of that older Einstein, that famous photo that we all know with him sticking the tongue out. And he had a fascinating, really dramatic life. He was quite uh, promiscuous as a young man, you know, really bad at romance and crazy family life and so um you know it just seemed perfect if we're going to profile a genius that the first one be albert einstein and when ron howard comes on to direct for the first time in television and then he's able to attract the likes of jeffrey rush and emily watson it's an easy project to say yes to
1: so you've ron howard you have super bowl ad you have einstein you've got politically resonant stuff yeah um I think that most people still are going to have a hard time finding National Geographic on a dial, and that 's part of the idea right here is to bring this to them sure. so how do you guide an audience to a cable channel? they probably don't know about or can't find in a world where it's harder and harder to find cable channels and people are pulling up stuff on demand on Apple TV. Yeah,
2: it's really hard. Um, I mean, that's the hardest part of our business is aggregating audiences. I think that, that, first of all, we're investing a lot more in marketing because you have to to get the word out. Um, But that is where kind of our portfolio really helps us. Number one, being a part of Fox Network groups, so we get incredible exposure in Super Bowl at, you know, in the Super Bowl, and then across, you know, all of the Fox Fox
1: boards. broadcast the Super Bowl. They exactly. made exactly room gave, for you guys. They
2: made room for us. And you know, and I have to say, you know, the Fox, Fox has broadcast Super Bowls before, and National Geographic has never gotten any airtime. So it's a real testament to the support and what we're doing, and the investment they're making in us. Um, so we will also get. You know, promotional time across all of the Fox network groups, and we do. But then also, we use the power of that National Geographic partners portfolio. So we have a massive digital and social reach. National Geographic has over 300 million fans across social it's, media. It's
1: something that I think people don't realize I think people is they—they they really I've a
2: lot of people follow us on Instagram. If you don't, you should. But we're they the really did one- well on
1: social right out of the gate, right way the- ahead of a lot of yeah. other publishers. Yeah,
2: and I think that there's a couple reasons for that. Yeah, so we're the number one non-celebrity brand on Instagram so watch out, Selena Gomez, Um, and, um, you know, huge reach. We reach over 750 million consumers every month um, across the world, and I think in social media it's interesting. First of all, we're we're always known as being a visual brand, that even the magazine started as being sort of that place that you would go for breathtaking images that would kindle your curiosity, and those, you know, social media, that's very visually driven, Um, and, you know, it's it's a lot of engagement among millennials and, you know, millennials tend to care and support companies that are actively involved in solving problems across the globe and National Geographic does that. You know, the National Geographic Society of which, you know, they are a partner of ours, um, you know, is doing real science and real conservation and real exploration around the world and 27% of our proceeds go back to support that work. So, um, I think that's a lot of why we're resonating in today's marketplace. How,
1: How much time do you think you have have realistically, to make this a brand that people know and want to tune into and ask for, and figure out how to download that app on Apple yeah. TV, it seems like the window is is closing um, as we the skinny band, the skinny bundle shows up and 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 channels are falling off the dial. Viacom did a deal with Dish recently and. Um, almost all their channels went away. Mm-hmm. Just a handful of them are left. And you're trying to, like, wedge yourself into that. But group.
2: we're already wedged in, you know. So Fox has five brands, right? It's Fox and it's FX and it's Fox Sports, National Geographic. I mean, we are one of those main brands. So we're sort of already wedged into that portfolio. Right, but you have to
1: earn it, though, right? Because Absolutely. if people don't want to pay, if people don't want to watch you, eventually the, the, the distributors are going to be like... No.
2: Exactly. And that is what absolutely has propelled this new strategy of right. creating you know, more exceptional, higher quality, more premium, distinctive content that people will perceive as worth paying for.
1: So you're kind of really a startup channel.
2: In a way, with a lot
1: of resources. And, yeah. And a lot, in a way, a lot, I mean, we've
2: been around for uh, a while, start. but this strategy is is very new for us. So
1: realistically, how long do you think it is for you? Like a couple of years ago, people didn't know what FX is, and I th- right. now they do. Now like, they what do you? Yeah. Look, realistically, I, what do you have?
2: I think it's going to take a couple years to do this. You know, and and the conversations that we've had with Peter Rice and James Murdoch is that this is really about enhancing the long-term value of this channel among affiliates and advertisers and viewers. So um, unless you know something I don't, I think I have a little time.
1: I think you got a little time. <laughs> Um, they, they, James Murdoch and, and his brother t- t- talk um, fairly openly about the idea they want to sell stuff directly to consumers. Mm. They still want to work in the cable ecosystem. Is there a version of this that you would sell directly to consumers, or, or do you have to create a new product based on this brand and sell that directly?
2: I don't think we have to create a new product. I mean, again, one of the advantages we enjoy about being part of Fox is as... As Fox Network Groups and 21st Century Fox explores new emerging platforms, direct-to-consumer, being part of things like Hulu's direct, you know, uh, live streaming service, we're, a part, we're in there with all of them. So, you know, we enjoy the advantages of all of their innovation um, and all of their new products and all of their efforts in distribution. So, I think that you know what we're doing is a strategy that is making us more valuable to be a part of all of those product offerings.
1: So we're moving towards a world where uh, whether it's Hulu or Apple TV's Watch app or someone like that. That is going to aggregate a bunch of stuff or the mm-hmm. comcast x1 box um and there's going to be netflix stuff and there'll be hbo stuff and your stuff will be in there um but it seems like it puts more it, it pushes down the branding of the networks even more you say show me girls and maybe you don't know it's on hbo or show me stranger things and maybe you're not sure it's on netflix mm-hmm. and as a consumer you don't care and you get what you want for you guys that brand is really important. It's
2: really important and I do think brands matter. I actually think brands matter more than ever because I think they act as kind of a curator and an organizing principle and we have such a specific brand which I treasure you know because it serves as a filter for decision making when we're making decisions about content and it actually means something for consumers so um, I think a brand is our friend right now and I think it matters more than ever and that's why we're investing so much in creating a brand that is culturally relevant um, and vibrant and just trade on this incredible legacy that people right. have about the brand. I mean,
1: yes, it's very important to you, but I'm, I'm thinking of a world where you're, people are watching Breaking Bad for the first time now. It's yeah. years after it ran on AMC. Yeah. There'll, be, there'll be an AMC bug there somewhere, but they probably won't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, the, the the interfaces that people are going to use to access TV. On that brand. And it's voice, right? Show me the show. You may not yep. even flip through a guide. at yep. this point. The, the Hulu guys have shown me the thing. And there's no grid right. there. Um, you just ask for shows, and right. shows come up. So um, have you guys thought about sort of – and, again, you're trying to really create a new brand or push mm-hmm. a new brand up, how you – are you thinking tactically about how you do that?
2: We are, and, and it's why we're investing so much more in the marketing communications behind the individual shows that we're creating, so the Genius franchise and the projects we're doing with Morgan Freeman and Darren Aronofsky and, and trying to build awareness around those very specific yeah. shows and franchises so that they can persist in a world if all there is is a yellow border And
1: so it. not a coincidence that you came out of marketing for this?
2: Not, probably not a coincidence, um, yeah, it's helpful.
1: And and like we referenced, you work for Chris Albrecht, who mm-hmm. we had on stage earlier. Yeah first golden age of TV he yes. rattled off a really long list I marketed of really great all shows. those great shows yeah. um, seems uh, explain what that was like marketing that stuff because they're amazing shows and awesome shows and now iconic shows some of them weren't as big as hits as we recall at the time right um and this was a new thing for HBO that you yeah. go there so how did you tackle that and how does it reflect what you're doing now
2: um, you know, what we knew at the time was it was great product, right? You knew when you read those Soprano scripts, even though there were no-name actors and, you know, a diff- how do you market a show, what people are going to think about opera singers, right? It's just the content was so good. And we have great content and robust budgets to market them. You know, you find a way to do it. Um, I was amazed when I came to National Geographic how much connective tissue exists between those brands. Um, you know, I sort of had the great fortune of coming from one big iconic brand to another. And both really do stand for quality. And, and at HBO, our tagline was, it's not TV, it's HBO. And that was kind of served as our compass. And it sort of f- served as a, a filter for decision making. You know, if it's something, whether it be a show or even a marketing tactic or marketing campaign, if it felt like it was something that would just be on television, it wasn't good enough. And now I find that that yellow border that we've talked about is serving as my yeah. compass. And it's pointing me in the exact same directions of quality and distinctiveness.
1: But practically, like blocking and tackling, like that the, the- that 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 HBO era is is the internet's around, but, but early, it's, pre, early, it's early internet it's pre-social, pre-social, no Facebook. There's just a lot less as as cluttered as we thought it was in 1999. Oh a lot less, and so now when you're going out there and there's Facebook and Snapchat and phones, again, it's amazing. There's no iPhone then. Right. Um, how do you other than saying we have an iconic brand with the yellow border? How do you push through that increased clutter?
2: Um. Look, it's hard. It's the hardest part. I mean, we're in in the attention business, and it's the hardest part. I think it's about being relevant, you know. And I think why our I know you wouldn't let me show our Super Bowl ad, but I'm going to talk about it. I think the you can
1: w- go to YouTube. You can
2: go see it. Yes, uh,
1: Philip right. would be very happy. Very <laughs> successful product, and, and you, you can, can, can watch it, it right. there.
2: So, but what I would say is, I think the reason that that spot did as well as it did, and we won a super Clio for it, and we won best ad in the Wall Street Journal reader poll, um, and we garnered an additional you know, 100 million impressions on social, is because we were really culturally relevant in that moment, right? And I think that's what it takes, so it's not, you know, back in the 90s when we were doing those HBO shows in the early 2000s, it was this sort of very push. It was billboards. It was traditional advertising, right? It was 30-second spots, and billboards, and radio commercials, and all that kind of stuff. And now, we just have to be much savvier. We have to be much more targeted, and we have to be really, really relevant. Um, and so that's tactically when we think about, you know, today we, we released a, a great piece of creative for Genius that was all about Valentine's Day and, and Albert Einstein's sort of series of, you know, love mistakes in his life. You know, just have to be really relevant all the time. I think the benefit, though, is you have all of these platforms to harness and leverage to get your message out, but it's just a more cluttered landscape to do it.
1: A lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, do we have questions in the audience for Courtney? People popping up right away. There we go. Ooh, look, former, oh, look. Former. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> Hi. see you, see <laughs> you, you guys. Are leaving.
3: I was <laughs> thinking of Ashley today. Hi, guys. Hi, Ashley hey. McCollum. Hi. Hi, Ashley McCollum from Hi. Tasty. Um, so I am kind of your classic millennial. I have never bought a Nat Geo magazine or book. I've never seen Nat Geo on TV. I don't have cable. Um, but I, I do follow all of um, your accounts on social. So you talk about on television, you're moving up market. Um, what are you doing for someone like me who doesn't watch you on TV? Um, so we've done a
2: couple of things. Um, you know, we, we really want to make sure that this really great content that we're creating is going to be as accessible to as many consumers as possible. So, you know, we want to be on more platforms, not fewer. And we're even doing certain things around some of our programming that completely defies logic of our business. So we um, we launched a documentary films banner uh, and we're, we are pursuing documentary films around topics that are really timely and provocative and globally relevant and around issues that we're really passionate, about our brand. So, for example, we partnered with Leonardo DiCaprio and Fisher Stevens on their climate change documentary Before the Flood back in the fall. And rather than just put it up on the network when we realized a lot of people wouldn't watch it and we felt that this was a film that everybody should see, we gave it away for free, unauthenticated, on every single platform Um, And over 62 million people around the world, I don't know if you were one of them, actually watched that film. And that was an exercise, quite frankly, in brand building so that people like you would be aware of the content that we're creating. But it was also about um, getting a film that we so passionately believe in the issue of climate change to as many people as possible.
1: Did you watch it, Courtney?
3: My name's Ashley. Ashley, I'm Ashley, I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. Late. Peter. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch it, but... Um, I guess my point is that it is—it could be a huge marketing tool, right? And your background in marketing, and so is mine, which Peter liked to point out today on stage. Um, but but I guess my point is, it could be a huge business for you, right? Just like it is for us. So, do you see it as significant revenue or significant business, or do you see it as a marketing function to drive to television or other platforms? What, what what I'm sorry. What do you what what do I see as a 70 million followers on Instagram? People would kill for in this room. Oh right? yes. And so, so up to what this, what function does up social to this play point,
2: in your practice? Got it. Thank you. Sorry. Um, up to this point it's much more about engagement and brand building and using you you know, using it as a as a marketing vehicle. Um, but there's no question we want to crack the code of how we how we drive revenue. And I will tell you that it's an incredibly attractive proposition to our advertisers and sponsors. So finding ways for them to connect with us well beyond 30 second spots or interesting interstitial things we do on the network. But you know, expanding our storytelling across all of our platforms, including social, and then being able to have a very different conversation with the potential advertiser um, than our competitors can have about how they could partner with us. You know, I think that's, that's how we can drive revenue. So to
1: tie this, because so, you might have missed it this morning, Ashley yeah, runs sorry. Tasty. Yes. So what she's saying to you is, I make a lot of money, almost entirely on Facebook with free video, and you want to do this for... for you
2: know,
3: I'm me, not, right? I don't want to do anything. No, other we're other trying than to do a deal I do. here, but, but nope. I, I'm, um, it is, the reach is like, it, like unprecedented it is. Um, and, pro- and maybe bigger than our reach. And the revenue is significant for us. And if not all of our revenue, you know, mm. um, and so it, it just would, it's like crazy to me to not want to turn that into a business, not just a marketing oh, engine. We would love to turn, I'm just saying up to this point that hasn't, it
2: hasn't been a revenue focus. Um, and we haven't grown it that way, and so we, we leverage it for other things, but absolutely, we should have...
1: A- you guys should swap jobs.
2: <laughs> that would be great. Since I've already screwed up yes. your names. I'm, go- we have I'm si- good. We have significant <laughs> ambitions to drive revenue in our digital business, without okay. question. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Ashley. Oh, one last question here. Yeah. Uh, just a quick question regarding the uh, the National Geographic brand. Obviously, it's an incredibly iconic brand. You've alluded to it over and over throughout this interview. Uh, you guys do a lot of things underneath this brand. How meaningful is the television business relative to the other businesses that the brand is in, you know, whether it 's live events, uh, cruises, catalog business, magazines, so on and so forth? Is, can you sort of rank order for us the, the, the businesses in terms of from size? a
2: financial perspective? Yeah um, The television business drives the large, large, large majority of revenue within National Geographic.
1: Which is why Fox put in $700-plus? 50000000 million, yeah,
2: which really ensured the long-term vitality of the National Geographic Society, uh, because they now have a billion-dollar endowment to do their work, Um, and then we're the storytelling arm. Uh, But the television business, at this point, is the largest revenue generator by far.
1: Thanks. One last.
2: Hi. My name's Bridget Donner. I run marketing at Optimizely, so it's great to see an executive who's made her way through the marketing ranks. Um, it's great to hear you talk about sort of the big, bold bets that you're making and clearly creating innovative content, innovative new ways to reach your audiences. How, on the flip side of that, the big, bold bets and in innovation is potential risk. You know, might hit it out of the park, there might be a big risk. So how do you think about bringing testing and experimentation into that process to make sure that when you are going big with these things, that they are going to be successful? Yeah, the, the first thing we do before really rather than think about testing experimentation, it's work with the likes of Darren Aronofsky and Ron Howard and Sebastian Younger, who's an incredible award-winning documentary filmmaker and Alex Gibney. So when you put your bets behind the very best storytellers in the world, you know it's yes there's risk in everything right i mean it's it's hard to aggregate audiences but the risk is diminished significantly when ron howard is directing and jeffrey rush is acting and things like that so the bets we're making we're making smart bets that we believe in that we're passionate about um that we feel as Stacey steiner said you know sort of from the inside feel right for us and then working with the best talent um but we're trying to make you know we're we're trying to make smart bets but it's a risk, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk. But um, if it's something we're really proud of and passionate about um, and believe that we have the right people to help execute those ideas, um, then it's a risk we feel good about. Great. I'm looking forward to the series. Thank you. I think you're the fourth
1: person we've had on stage in the last day and a half, talked about in a world of data and data-driven decisions, making decisions from the gut. I think so you
2: can't I'm go wrong. I'm glad there's still gut I, I Me too. I think you can't go wrong.
1: Courtney, I'm glad you you joined us and I'm glad you let me butcher your name once. No
0: problem. I'll get it right next time. (laughs) Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. You can find all the podcasts from Code Media and our other conferences at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay or just go to Recode.net for full coverage of the Code Media Conference. If you like this sort of interviews, then good news. We do interviews just like them every week on Recode's free podcasts. I host Recode, Decode and co-host Too Embarrassed to Ask with Lauren Good of The Verge And the producer of Code Media, Peter Kafka, has new interviews with the smartest people from the media world every Thursday on Recode Media. You can find all these shows on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Or just go to recode.net slash podcasts.